for my lifestyle, the van is great. I, I wouldn't say to everybody like, oh yeah, the van is the best Overland vehicle. That would be an untrue statement because it really, the best Overland vehicle is the one that's going to work best for you. That was Jason Dara of the highly successful YouTube channel, Primal Outdoors. And this is episode seven of the Guide GPS Off-Road Podcast. I'm Wade, your host. Today, we're discussing Jason's personal journey into overlanding, the pros and cons of all the different rigs he's used, and a 300-plus-mile overland route that he mapped in Oregon. Jason used Gaia GPS to research, map, and eventually drive that route before making it available to his followers. With hundreds of available map layers, Gaia GPS is also my go-to for planning overland trips. You can sleuth out abandoned mining towns, potential campsites, where you'll have cell phone coverage, find legal trails through national forest, and locate hiking trails along the way, to name just a few of the features. Don't have Gaia GPS yet? Well, you're in luck. Podcast listeners get 20% off a premium Gaia subscription. Just go to www.gaiagps.com slash offroadpodcast to get that sweet discount. Now on to Jason and Primal Outdoors. Hey, well, Jason, welcome to the podcast, brother. It is uh, great to see you on the screen here and be able to talk to you today. Yeah, well, it's great to be here. Uh, actually, I have to admit, I never really did listen to the podcast until just here recently. So it's kind of an interesting thing now that I'm I'm going to be on one. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I was kind of the same until I started overlanding. There's a lot of dead time whenever you're just driving on roads and stuff. And so I started doing the same thing, kind of listening to podcasts as uh, fillers for that time. Never thought I would actually be the host of one, but here we are. Yeah. And that's a good point. It's like, there's a lot of times you're in areas where you just don't have good signal and stuff like that. And podcast is, it has proven to be one of those really nice ways to pass the time. Exactly. So before we get into uh, Primal Overland, how about telling us about uh, your life prior to overlanding and prior to uh, Primal Outdoors, a little bit about your background? Uh, before I kind of got into the overlanding thing, you know, there a lot of my life revolved around a small hobby ranch where I, I had horses and ducks and geese and and chickens and goats and pigs and all those things. And so I spent a lot of time outdoors at home, just kind of managing a, a lot of that. And uh, I lived in an area where we had a lot of access to BLM. And in fact, I had BLM right off the property and so I did a lot of just kind of wandering and hiking and stuff there but I think it was really once I started to actually develop an interest in hunting that I really started to pick up a lot more um, want to be out and uh, exploring backcountry places like that uh, like you do in overlanding so it kind of started a lot with more doing some backpacking doing that kind of stuff solo adventures I started to spend a lot more time on YouTube, looking on how other people were doing it, figuring that out. And so the channel kind of did start before uh, the overlanding part where I kind of got involved in that. Uh, mm -hmm. was a lot more involved, revolved around that kind of lifestyle of backpacking into places and trying to figure out how to sustain myself out you know, on my own and with minimal gear. Now you had a, uh, an affinity for horses, uh, probably still do, but that grew into something fairly large at one time in your life as well. Yeah, uh, I used to trim horses and I did some training on the side as well. Mainly did the trimming. It just was m more lucrative than the training was. I, I probably enjoyed the training more, but it just didn't make the money that going out and going to people's properties and, and trimming the horses did. But I enjoyed, enjoyed training the horses and uh, I enjoyed very much just getting out on a horse and just Again, we had BLM right off the property so I could get out and just be outdoors in remote areas and, you know, travel via the horse. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, like me, you were kind of steeped in Western movies and tales of mountain men and all of that kind of stuff. So being out on a horse uh, in a remote area like that was sort of a natural. Is that sort of where the idea of the whole drifter thing came up, came about? Oh, definitely. I mean, you watch, like, of course, my favorite is John Wayne, John Wayne Westerns or mm -hmm. old Clint Eastwood Westerns, especially some of the old shows like Wagon Train or Gunsmoke is another mm -hmm. one of my favorites. But you watch that lifestyle of like the 
uh, cowboy living off the land and just moving from one place to the next. All they have is maybe a wagon, but most of the time it's depicted that they're just what they got on their horse. And, you know, you just, and you just travel and then you stop, you set up a little camp. And then the next day you just hop on your horse and travel again. And uh, I always loved that idea, but in the modern day, uh, with the horse, it, it's gotten a little bit harder with all the fences and, and everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So once I got into overlanding, I realized that maybe I was tickling that uh, adventure that I w- always wanted out of the horse, but actually being able to do it better with the truck. My rig is my horse and right. I don't do reckless things uh, out there with it because then I've killed my horse and I'm walking. So you know, that's kind of a difference between uh, a bit of the off-roading and the overlanding mentality, I think. There's a little bit of, I don't know, peer pressure is not really the the word, but you're, you're, you're wanting to do that wow factor. You know, mm-hmm. I've ran into the, made the mistake myself many times of maybe pushing my vehicle beyond what, or doing something that maybe I probably shouldn't have done. Uh, and I've really backed off on that, especially now that I'm in the van, not because I don't feel like the van's capable, but because the van is not just this rig that I go out and do something with and then come back. It's also my house. So I have to really kind of keep that in mind uh, you know, as I'm out adventuring. I don't want it to necessarily stop me if I'm on an adventure and I have a legitimate reason to have to cross or get through something in order to continue that adventure. I want to be able to try to figure that out. But if there's an A and a B and B is easier, then I'm going to take B. (laughs) I think most of us are that way. Now, you mentioned that you kind of started, you know, with hunting and truck camping. Um, Do you remember whenever you realized you were actually overlanding? Uh, I don't know that I ever realized. I think uh, there's a point in my life where I had to kind of make an adjustment uh, to the type of stuff I was doing outdoors because I was going to have my two dogs with me all the time and they're older. So I had to make this adjustment. So I started looking in the truck camping, not knowing anything about, or have never heard of the word overlanding before. But as soon as you start kind of researching down that, that Avenue, obviously overlanding started coming up very quickly. And I saw that as a very interesting idea that melded with a direction I was already wanting to head. So uh, I, I don't know that I ever specifically came to a point where I said, well, I am now an overlander. You know, I was a truck camper and now I'm an overlander. I think there's, I'm constantly mixing the two and I, it depends yeah. on what I'm doing. Now you're up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, Oregon uh, specifically. Tell me what's amazing up there. Uh, man, where to start? You know, the, the biggest thing about Oregon is its diversity and landscape. I think that's the first thing I try to tell people is, you know, you can be on the coast or in three hours you can be in high desert you can be in alpine you can be uh in rainforest there's just so many different types and diverse landscapes in oregon that gives you so many different options in what you can do and and be seeing when you're out and another thing about oregon that i think is also very interesting and other what some some of the other western states but if you look at an actual land map uh, area that is color coded as some form of public land, whether it be BLM, national forest, national grasslands, wilderness, roughly 70 ish percent of the state is some form of public land. So that's a lot of landmass and a lot of country that, as an overlander who wants to kind of be out in remote areas, there's so many opportunities in Oregon and not just in a specific type of environment, but opportunities in multiple types of environments. Tell me about some of your favorite places there. There's probably two places that I, that I hold near and dear. And one is Hell's Canyon and the other is the Alvor Desert. Two different types of completely different types of terrain. Hell's Canyon is very mountainous, foresty, deep canyons, uh, just really big country, beautiful. And then you got like the Alvor Desert area, which is very flat, very open sage. Uh, The Alvor Desert itself is a dry lake bed, very popular with, you know, overlanders and adventure vehicle enthusiasts, both just very extreme environments in their own way and just beautiful at the same time. Yeah, you mentioned Alvor. You created a route that runs from Bend to Alvor. You want to tell me about that? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of my little baby as the Ben to Alvord route. I, I got this idea, you know, because I did love the Alvord very much. And I knew that Oregon had so much to offer and for the Overlander that there's so much public land like we just talked about. And it got, got in my idea that there had to be a route, some way to get from Ben, which is a very popular uh, destination town in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lots of options for people that are in the outdoors. Uh, to get from Bend to the Alvord all via public land and very little road travel. So I actually, you know, not to plug Gaia, but I use Gaia very heavily to figure out and using the routing function to help me figure out a way to make that happen. And then once I had a, a basic route made, then I actually started in 2019, I think it was, I actually just started to drive the route and figure out like the bits and pieces and make sure everything mm-hmm. worked through. And I was able to complete that. And yeah, I think it's a a great option for people that want to get into overlanding because, you know, a lot of times when you look at some of the bigger overlanders out there, you know, they're doing overland trips that for very many people just probably are never going to be in their wheelhouse. It's very exotic. The vehicles are extremely built out, very expensive. And for a lot of guys that maybe just have weekends and maybe a, a week long uh, vacation here and there and a minimal budget it, it's just outside and they don't feel like they can ever really experience like true overlanding and the Ben Elvord I think is, a, is is very capable because you don't need an overly capable vehicle to complete the whole route it's really about the search and the discovery and the things that you're going to see out there there are a couple sections that you're definitely going to want a vehicle that has decent clearance but it doesn't have to be um, extre- it's not extreme in any way right and the nice other nice thing is it's it's sectional so you know if a person only had weekends to go out they could they could run a section in a weekend the whole trip takes about a full week if you were to run it from beginning to end from from bend all the way to the alvord and take some time to check out some of the cool sites along the way because it's not just a trudge through the desert there's Mm -hmm. an old airplane wreck there's an old ranch house out there there's um there's some caves that you can check out there's the sand dunes if you want to stop and play in the sand for a day. There's things to do along the route as well, but you can do it in sections. So if you only had weekends, you can definitely just carve out a section each weekend and, and almost like the PCT or something like that, you can section hike it or section overland it. You know, So right. I think it's very available to the average person. What's the uh, total length? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but it's over. It's I, I want to say it's just a little over 300 miles. It's like 315 to 325 miles of, and there's only a couple small sections where you have to cross a couple highways, but literally you only jump on the highway for maybe a mile and then you're back off onto BLM. Yeah. That's so a nice, it's all, stretch. It's I like all, that. all dirt track. Yeah. That's a nice stretch. I really, uh, really like that when you can string some, some long days uh, together in a trip like that. Well, besides up in the Pacific Northwest, where are some of the bucket list areas that you'd like to overland? Um, yeah. So Nevada's, I think really interested me, you know, a couple of times I've on, been on my way to overland expo and you run through some, there's some sections in Nevada that uh, that I always think to myself, I need to come back here and check this out. Uh, there's a beautiful section where there's just a lot of Joshua trees before you uh, before you hit Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. it looks gorgeous out there, just really awesome. And I'm always like, I gotta go back there. I gotta come back here and go out and check this out. And so I want to do that. There's some area that I also found in Arizona that I would like to spend. That's a long that kind of stretches along the uh, Grand Canyon that. Uh, we found by accident on our way to go check out the Grand Canyon. I just, we have me and a friend of mine, we were driving along and I wasn't really excited about going to the Grand Canyon to like the park. Uh, right. So we were driving along and we saw this forest road and I, and I said, Hey, we could go to the park or we could drive down this forest road. And we both decided, let's drive down this forest road. And we, I mean, we saw some bull elk. We came out in this beautiful canyon. And so we explored a little bit, but I definitely wanted to spend more time exploring that. Yeah, that's the Kaibab Plateau there on the uh, north rim of the Grand Canyon. It is one of my favorite places. It is just absolutely beautiful up there. So you have good taste. I like that. Let's switch gears here. Uh, everybody likes to talk about their gear, and we'll get to that. But what skills did you already have? Are 
developed once you started going out and camping and overlanding the way that you do? I, I think before overlanding to back, you know, doing the backpacking uh, and figuring out like specifically with the backpacking, you know, you're trying to figure out how to be very lightweight, to have all the gear that you have, but to be compact and light on your feet. So I think kind of that same mentality and then having some of that gear kind of moving into the overlanding definitely helped out a lot because it's very easy with a vehicle to pack very heavy or inefficiently. And I think that when it comes to building an overland vehicle, I think weight is definitely something that you should consider. Obviously with the van, it's very heavy. And I think about weight with it all the time. I think that skill coming from backpacking and having that mentality of trying to try to stay somewhat minimalistic, have the gear that you need, but at the same time, don't get too crazy with it. I remember you saying, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, to overland, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you mean and by that? I, I think, too, and when I said that, I said that in Drift, which was a, a video that I did with Ellen Morningstar. But I think I was also in my mind, I had my whole lifestyle in mind, not just overlanding. Mm -hmm. So with overlanding or any type of adventure like that, I think most people are fairly comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable for a short period of time. And then they come back to their their home. For me, that it was more that phrase was connected to my more whole lifestyle where I do go out on these adventures, but in the end of the day, when the, that adventure is over, I still just come back to my van. And so right. there's no ever coming back to like a house that has all the amenities and features like indoor plumbing and all that. I still just come back to my van. So there's this level of uncomfortableness that I, I just deal with on a daily basis. And if you're not okay with that, uh, then, then maybe this lifestyle isn't really for you. It just the the benefit that certain benefits outweigh those those inconveniences, and that's what keeps you alive in that lifestyle. And that that's the way I feel. Like there's certain things that I do find inconvenient, but at the same time, I, I love living in my van uh, and being able to just change locations at any whim that I have. You know, like say, well, mm -hmm. this has been nice. Let's go. Let's go somewhere else now. And that, <laughs> So that, I think that's that that's where that that phrase came from is is more about the lifestyle of of living out of my vehicle versus just overlanding. So let's go back and uh, kind of start at the beginning. You had a pickup and a trailer for a while, correct? Well, at the very beginning, okay, I was still kind of mirroring the bushcraft stuff I was doing with my truck camping. So in the very mm -hmm. beginning, I had a a wheel and lean and the pickup, and I would go out, drive out somewhere. And I'd set up this wheel and lean and put a long fire out in front of me and sleep in this uh, lean-to tent. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's that's how, that was the, the very first. And then, you know, it. then we went to a more robust ground tent. That was great. Like for me, when it comes to overlanding, I want to be able to set up and then unset up very quickly. I don't right. want to spend a lot of time. I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the old phrase, you know, like setting up camp is part of the fun. Well, I do it enough. It's no longer fun. I don't want to do that part. <laughs> you know, I want to be able to roll yeah. in and cook, eat and sleep as fast as I can so that right. I can do other things. So as I progress, you know, uh, the ground tent became like too much of a, a, a extra step. And a lot of the areas that I was dealing with may not always had great uh, footing for a ground tent, you know, mm -hmm. rocky roots, whatever. So then we, of course, progressed to a rooftop tent, put that on the uh, old Ford. And I love that setup. Very nimble setup. I could pretty much go wherever I wanted to. And if I could get the wheels over it and be half level, I could set up the tent and have a great, a great sleep. Uh, but then I kind of ventured on to every once in a while wanting to stay in locations longer, but I wanted to mm -hmm. be able to explore. And you kind of set up your, your rooftop tent on the truck and then you have all your gear out. And now you're kind of stuck, you know, without pulling everything together. If you just want to go right. run down the road to a trailhead or something like that, it was inconvenient. So then I started looking at trailers and we went to the trailer with a rooftop tent. And I liked that because it was still fairly nimble. The trailer was very capable and I could I could get into just about anywhere I wanted to get into. But now I had the convenience of being able to drop the trailer, set up camp and and then explore around the area freely without having to close everything back up and and uh tear down my camp so that was convenient but i was still in the rooftop tent and the rooftop tents were great 
um, small, convenient, but on very harsh weather conditions. I never was concerned about them coming, you know, coming down in, in wind or getting wet and rain. Never had an issue there. It was just the sheer noise of being in a tent when it's right. windy. You know, you just have that material flapping and it's hitting. And man, I had some rough nights out in some areas where it's just, especially in the eastern part of our state where it's very deserty, you're dealing with wind a lot. It's it's just very windy. I, I started looking like, what can I do that's still going to be nimble and have hard sides? So that's when we made the upgrade to the teardrop trailer. And uh, that was great. I I really like that setup. And in between there too, I did have an old cab over camper too that I, I didn't really mention. Uh, it was an old 1968 caveman. And I didn't like that because it was just a little bit big and bulky and, you know, taking it off the truck and everything. But <clears throat> it works great for a lot of people. But yeah, as, as far as I think my second favorite setup before the van was the teardrop trailer with the truck because i could still go somewhere i could drop it set up a, a fairly extravagant camp be able to run around the area but i could still overland with it very capably and you know move every day and it was a fairly quick setup i could pack it all up and be on the on the trail again and then overlanding kind of came into my view i saw a sportsmobile Mm -hmm. And I, I said, and I knew at that point in time too, I wasn't just looking for a way to go truck camping and overlanding, but I knew in my mind already that I had this idea of a more minimal lifestyle and living out of a more minimalistic setup. So when I saw that sportsmobile, it was always the, like, if I had all the money in the world, that's the setup. That's the setup I would have right there. So through all these different iterations of setups, I was always in the back of my mind. It was like, I would love to have a four wheel drive van. I wish I had a four wheel drive van. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it was finally great to find when I first bought Sasquatch, it was, it was funny because I procrastinated so long because I felt like I had to have a four wheel drive van. And I finally, I just decided that I'm just going to start somewhere. I'm just going to mm -hmm. buy a two wheel drive van and I bought Sasquatch. And then of course it's, it, we've made it into this, which we'll get into further, but, but it, um, it, but it, I was so excited when I got it, even when it was just two wheel drive, had some all-terrain tires on it. I was so excited because for so many years had been this ultimate dream of mine. And it was, even though it was a long ways from being what I really wanted it to be, when I bought the van as a two-wheel drive, I finally felt like I was working on a setup that was heading the right direction. Does yeah, that makes sense? I think built-out vans are just absolutely excellent platforms for what we do just because of that interior space like you say you're getting away from the cloth of the rooftop tent it's extremely mobile everything's self-contained uh walk us through how you built out your van i mean as far as the interior was concerned i had no idea how i really wanted to build out the van so we just started with some very basic got a bed platform in there got some form of power uh, very rudimentary in the in the beginning just get the, my refrigerator working. But the first obvious big step was getting it four-wheel drive, and I took it to AJ's 4x4 vans. And then they also built my racks and my bumper and my side steps. That was a huge, that jumped the van into like, okay, now now it's serious. Now this is a, a serious overland ve vehicle. And I still was messing with the interior a lot, changing it all the time, just like, let's try the bed this way. Let's try the, uh, let's try some, this fridge over here let's do this let's do that and it was very rough uh at one point people saw that i had insulation but it was just exposed and everyone thought it was uh everybody thought it was fiberglass insulation but it wasn't it was wool and so i wasn't worried about it being exposed it was very unsightly but it wasn't mm -hmm. like it was fiberglass insulation but everyone was like oh my god i can't believe you just have that fiberglass insulation and then but it was it was wool insulation but yeah, it was rough for a long time. And of course, we've done upgrades to continue to just tinker at little things. We got the Line X done to it, which has been great. It makes the van not only look good, but at the same time, it keeps it looking good because, you know, the van is one of those things that, like any overland vehicle, it has its pros and cons. Right. There's no perfect overland vehicle. You, you kind of look at the strengths and weaknesses and based off your desires and um, what your interests are, you know, you're going to you're going to pick the vehicle that's going to work and mm -hmm. maybe have the strengths that you like and you'll work in, you'll know the weaknesses and you'll be willing to work through those things. As far as the van's concerned, obviously its strengths are its 
carrying capacity and livability and comfort. Its weaknesses are it's a fairly large vehicle. And even though it is four wheel drive and lifted, it's not going to be, say, as nimble as a Jeep, right? But the Jeep's not going to be as comfortable to live in, out of as a van. So you, again, strengths and weaknesses. And for my lifestyle, the van is great. I, I wouldn't say to everybody like, oh yeah, the, the van is the best overland vehicle. That would be an untrue statement because it really, the best overland vehicle is the one that's going to work best for you. So being the fact that I live out of the vehicle and overland, it's the most well-rounded for me setup. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the perfect option for everybody. Not everybody should run out and build a van. It's not going to be, you may find that uh, the van is too big to do things that mm-hmm. you want to do outdoors. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, if you're on a fairly tight trail, I mean, that's a, that's a wide vehicle. And so it, right. it might limit you a little bit that's where I got off there. track as we were talking about the Linex. The Linex. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about the Linex and sorry, I got off track there. But so my point to get all of that is the van is very tall and it's very high sided. Well, most trails mm-hmm. you go down are going to be beat down to the level of Jeeps and trucks. Right. Right. And it's just like, oh my God, because I think a lot of people, when you're when you're thinking about overland leg, we did talk a little bit about you differentiate between off road and overland, but a lot of people just want to immediately go like, how's this thing going to be off road? But you got to remember that a lot of overlanding is going to involve a lot of on road driving. You might have to drive like a lot of highway or a lot of miles to get to a tract of area that you want to go and overland on. So. I don't want to be worn out driving some vehicle that that's unwieldy on the road because it's got some massive lift with huge tires and wandering all over the place. And <laughs> by the time you get to the trail system, you're, you're just wiped out, you know? So I'm always looking about finding that, that, that balance with the van, as far as like, I need this, I want this thing to be capable off road, very capable off road, but I also want to make sure that it has good on-road characteristics as well. Mm-hmm. Now you have two vans uh, in your life. Uh, yours is uh, gas, and Megan's uh, uh-huh. is diesel. Is diesel? It's got the seven-three yeah. liter diesel in it, and yeah, there's definitely some pros and cons there for for both of those. Like Megan's van uh, with that seven-three liter diesel, she's you know we put an exhaust on that four inches exhaust, and then she's put in a uh, tuner into it, and so it gets for a big heavy vehicle it gets decent fuel mileage where we were getting we went to a recent trip to utah we were getting 15 to 16 miles per gallon out of it and uh, the power is great like it's got lots mm-hmm. of torque lots of to, to move a big heavy object like the van so that's where the diesel really comes in handy and as far as like fuel mileage is concerned when it comes to fuel mileage i think more about like a lot of people are like wanting to save money but i think it more of in terms of overland in the fact that Better fuel mileage means more range. More range yes. means more exploring. And mm-hmm. so that's always on my mind of like, how can I get more range out of the vehicle? How can I get further? So diesel is definitely a great option when it comes to that because, you know, many of them can be tuned. And when tuned properly, you know, it's it will be safe for the engine. Like, obviously, you can tune it to for massive power and you, you'll probably deplete the life of the engine. But you can tune them in such a way that they just perform better and get better fuel mileage so there's those benefits but like with megan's van one of the the downsides when you start looking at a a diesel is uh the cost of entry is more uh the 7.3 liter van diesels they become like a piece of gold like you're they're very expensive to buy versus the gas ones and uh and then just of course maintenance on diesels is typically more the the only thing you might save a few bucks on is gas but you're definitely going to lose or fuel uh, gas. I always get hammered when people when I say gas when I'm talking <laughs> about diesel. But um, y- you might see it, see a little savings there, but you're gonna lose it. I, I promise you somewhere else. You know, maintenance, mm-hmm. repairs, things like that. So mm-hmm. let's talk about your gear a little bit. Uh, what pieces of your gear kind of stand out to you as being perfectly functional, or you have a personal attachment to some piece of your gear? Uh, yeah. So. I wouldn't say there's like one single piece of gear. I'd say there's three pieces of gear that I have in the van that I feel work in synergy with each other to really make the van livable and comfortable. And that is my undermount propane tank, my propane heater, 
and then my electrical system, my battery system. And those three pieces, you know, um, like my heater needs power and propane. Uh, so you mentioned your propane tank. This thing is vehicle mounted uh, up inside the frame. How large is it? It's, I mean, I think it's specs on it. It's like 6.9 gallons or something like that. But, you know, you can only fill it to 80%. So you're looking at about a little over six gallons uh, is what it, offers because uh, again it, it goes back to even like that what we're talking about diesel it just extends my range of yes. how long i could get out go out and and have a, the amenities that i go with so mm -hmm. yeah i i would say that was um like i said it's really hard for me to just pick like one thing that i say is mm -hmm. up and above the other but it's definitely in the top tier of things yeah. that i've done to the van that make make it more livable and you mentioned electrical power uh that's one of the things, obviously, that we need when we're out there to charge uh, devices and things on the vehicle that run. But also for you, uh, you've got to edit and produce videos as well. So right. what do you use electrically? Do you have solar charging? Are you charging off the vehicle whenever you run it? Mainly most of my charging does come from the vehicle when I run it. I do have solar uh, I'm I'm using the Red Arc system, and then I've got two Battleborn 100 amp hour ba uh, lithium batteries, mm -hmm. and then I've got the Red Arc, like I said, Red Arc Manager 30. I up, one of the first things I did to the van was upgrade the alternator to a high output alternator, and then we got the Manager 30, which pumps 30 amps into the batteries as I'm driving. So, and then it also the nice thing about the Manager 30 is it also manages my other types of charging, like you you touched on the solar. And I also have the ability to charge via shore power. And I do use solar. I have a solar blanket from Red Arc that I use mainly. I do have one solar panel up on the, the van, but most time the van's never, you know, a lot of time places that I'm at, the van's never somewhere where that, that solar panel is as well pointed at the sun. So I rely more on mm -hmm. my Red Arc solar blanket because it plugs into the van and then has about 20 30 feet of cord that i can move the the blanket around and and keep it in the sun honestly i don't use that a ton if i am somewhere editing for like i'm gonna sit and edit all day somewhere and i do have a good sunny day like today i'll, I'll do with it but most of the time because of the way that i've set up the the charging if i'm actually say overlanding and i'm moving daily I never have a problem. I never come close to running out of power. And the only time that I ever come mm -hmm. close to running out of power is when I sit and I'm on my laptop editing video. Then I can chug through some power pretty heavily. Right. I, I actually quite honestly think for most people that are not living in their vehicle, it's that a dual battery system is maybe something you should, you should maybe look at one of the more portable systems, like whether it be Jackery or Gold Zero or any of the mm -hmm. other portable systems they've got many options now where you don't have to mess with your vehicle's wiring because if you don't know what you're doing and i also find that a lot of people just don't know what they're doing and you and to pay a shop and stuff like that they don't always really know what they're doing either so you you really mm -hmm. you're, you're really opening your vehicle up to some potential problems by messing with your wiring so if you're just trying to run a fridge and you're only out for the weekends or maybe a or week long trips and stuff like that. There's a lot of portable options that are are going to be safer. Your YouTube channel, Primal Outdoors, has uh, I checked this morning, 178,000 subscribers, and it's growing constantly. Uh, when and how did you come up with the name Primal Outdoors, and what does that mean to you? Uh, well, you know, like I said, when the channel first started, it wasn't an overlanding based channel. I was getting into the hunting and I was getting very much into traditional archery. So actually the channel's name was primal archer. That's the <laughs> first name that it came out as. And I ran mm. with that for a little while until I came, realized that I didn't want to be, I pigeonholed myself into only really being able to mm. do archery content. And I like lots of things outdoors. So I, I finally started, I started, you know, I was all over the place doing all these different things. And I finally decided that I needed a name that was uh, a little bit more open to other activities outdoors besides just archery. So I changed right. the name to Primal Outdoors. Do you have any idea your channel was going to be so successful? No. I mean, I remember at a time that I thought 
success would mean that I had a thousand subscribers. If I had a thousand subscribers, I thought I was really living it at that point. <laughs> like, so to, I mean, the idea of having 178,000 subscribers, it was never even a thought in that beginning stages that I would have a channel that would ever get that big. So what do you think has made Primal Outdoors such a success? I've got some thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Uh, I don't think it's me. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I'm awful on camera. I, and uh, so I think it's just my cinematography and the effort that I put into trying to create an experience for people. I've always wanted my channels to be less about like, look at me. I want them to always be more about sharing an experience. And so it was less about, Hey, look at me in the woods or let me teach you something or let me show you how, what a badass I am. Let's, I wanted them to like sit and watch the video and at the end of the video feel like they just took a little mini vacation. Mm -hmm. So I think by, you know, that I, I feel like that's what has made the channel what it is. Yeah. And I mean, your uh, videography is extremely good. And of course you're working in an area that has amazing scenery. So that has to be obviously one of the draws. I think another is uh, food because food's kind of gotten to be a part of every overlanding video out there, but you have a little different take on it. One of your recent videos, you said, I didn't feel like eggs, so bacon and chicken hearts for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I used to really love eggs, but maybe because I've been eating them so much, they just don't sound good to me anymore. And, you know, I grew up, so my mom, you know, she, she grew up on a farm. And when I grew mm. up, you know, things like chicken hearts and gizzards, and it was always kind of funny because as a kid growing up, my mom would cook gizzards a lot. And, you know, a lot of the packages of gizzards, there'd be the chicken hearts. Well, you know, like a mm. kid with a cereal, you know, they, that, you know, you, you, get the cereal box and the, the prizes in the cereal box. And that's the exciting part is finding that prize for me as a kid, when we had chicken gizzards, finding the chicken hearts was like that prize. Like, <laughs> Oh, I found the chicken heart. I get the chicken heart, you know, like, so yeah, I love, I love them. I, I, I love chicken hearts. Yeah. I can always feel my arteries clogging up, but your videos make me go raid the fridge at night. Uh, so that's pretty good. I think another thing uh, in your videos that comes across really well are your dogs, you, uh, Daisy and, of course, Wheeler, who's not with us anymore, uh, featuring those uh, every time one of your videos comes on, my wife goes, is Daisy in it? She's got to come, yeah. you know, get a dog fix. And uh, right. you do a great job of, of bringing those, uh, those yeah, in, so I Going think. back to your original question, they're the reason why the channel is so successful. Like, nobody cares <laughs> about me. They just want to see Daisy. <laughs> and then Wheeler, when he was around, it was always about – I, I could almost guarantee just about any video. If they weren't in the video, there would be several comments like, I miss Daisy and Wheeler. I miss Daisy and Wheeler. <laughs> They're the real stars. Though I would disagree with you in one point. I think you are a big part of the channel being successful because of a couple of things. Um, one, you come across as incredibly genuine and your videos are not just the good. Mm -hmm. It's the challenges that you face along the way and what didn't particularly go well. And I think people relate to that and kind of a theme of more common man overlanding. As you said, you know, you can see these things where you have super built out rigs and trips that are going to just go for forever. And it's probably beyond most people. But what you're doing, I think people can relate to. Yeah, I feel and kind of go back to the van discussion. I look at the van now and it's very built out and very and maybe many people's eyes very exotic at this point. But like to your point, I've always I have kind of done it like with the old Ford and everything. Everything was you know, pretty basic. And, and even in the band, the gear that I'm using, you know, there's, it's fairly simplistic considering the fact that I also live in here, the amount of gear I have, I, I try to keep on a fairly simple, I like to just keep things as simple as I possibly can. But the point that I want to make with the band is a lot of the stuff I, I, I was helped through sponsorship and not everybody's going to have that option. And I totally get that. And I totally understand, but we started with a band that's, that it was $2,000. I bought this van for $2,000 off Craigslist, you know? And so we're not starting with a sprinter that you're going to start at 60 
thousand dollars if you're buying mm -hmm. a four-wheel drive sprinter and then and then you want to outfit them for overlanding right and then mm -hmm. you start seeing all the the gear and pretty soon you realize you're going to be dropping another 20 to 30 grand on top of that vehicle and 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 you're looking at a vehicle that can reach up to 100 grand and that's just crazy uh, a crazy amount of money to be spent you know the van people might look at it at this point that it's like this crazy but I'm still under, if you add up all the stuff that I've done to it, I'm still under the base price of a sprinter. Um, mm -hmm. And it's going to be very capable. So I, so I kind of like to encourage people to look at that as an option, you know, when they're, when they're building and they're maybe thinking that when they see these guys out there with these, you know, brand new vehicles that are all outfitted and they're looking at the money and it seems a little bit overwhelming to them, you know, maybe start with something, something used that you could build and tinker with and just, over time, just it will get better and better and bigger, and, and 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 pretty soon you'll look back maybe two three years later and like, wow, I've got this really rad overland vehicle, and I just and I built it from nothing, and that that I think is really cool. Kind of tying this back to that common man thing, you know, that's something I've I've gotten the opportunity to drive some brand spanking new vehicles, and they're mm -hmm. and they're awesome and they're great, but they're not any more awesome or great than like one of my favorite vehicles that I had that I wish would have got some airtime on my on my channel and it didn't because it was before my before the channel was i bought this 92 ford explorer for 350 dollars from a towing company and <laughs> it, it was oxidized it kind of smelled on the inside and i didn't know anything about overlanding you know i didn't really know anything about off-roading or any of that stuff but i was getting that interest in going hunting and doing different things and money was very tight. I didn't have a lot of money to d dump into this vehicle and do stuff. And when I wanted to go hunting, the area I could go and my tag was good for was too far for me to drive back and forth every day. So mm -hmm. I actually started camping out of that vehicle out of necessity because I wanted to spend two days hunting or three days hunting, but I couldn't afford to drive back and forth. So I just started sleeping in the back of the vehicle and I didn't know anything about overlanding at this time or the word or anything like that. I was just out there truck camping as far as I was concerned. And I had so much fun with that vehicle. It didn't have great tires. I couldn't afford good all-terrain. So it had the cheapest street tires Les Schwab had on it. It had no lift. It had, I had, I would throw a cod in it and inside and I would put the bucket seat forward and I'd put the cod up against the bucket seat and put my mm. pillow on the back of the bucket seat because I'm six, four. And I'd sleep in it that way. And I'd put some gear underneath the cot. And I had, with a $350 vehicle, I, I, I did so much. And I had so much fun um, out there. And I didn't worry about the brush rubbing against it because it was already oxidized paint. And yeah. it was just a great vehicle. And it, to the point, like, I've often thought of, like, trying to find another one of those. Because there was, that one was also special because it was a five-speed transmission in it as well. So it was Explorer with the... Uh, the uh, six six cylinder with a five speed so it was awesome and i i just loved that vehicle but um you know i had to put some money into it and fix some stuff but i remember i sold that that truck for five hundred dollars and it had a the transmission was starting to fail on it but i figured it out that i owned it for five years put a hundred thousand miles on it and buying it for 350 and then what i actually had to put into that vehicle as far as to keep it running not maintenance items but keep it running i had 1500 dollars into that whole vehicle and i turned around and sold it for 500 so like i said there i i think it'd be awesome and i think the explorer is a totally overlooked the old explorer is a totally overlooked mm. overland vehicle and i would hunt down one of those little explorers in a heartbeat and <laughs> i wouldn't put a ton of money into it maybe some tires and you know some tires and wheels on it so, so i could have some good all terrains maybe lift it just a little bit to give me a little bit more ground clearance so i could put a slightly bigger tire on it so i could have actually more clearance under the uh under the axle and but i wouldn't want to lift it a lot because again with overlanding i feel like an overly lifted vehicle is a detriment versus a helpful item again i, I love the idea of older vehicles and taking that structure and building it into something very functional that's pretty cool. I'll change uh, change directions on you here a little bit. Uh, you did a video, or I wouldn't even call it a video. You did a film with Ellen Morningstar that aired back in March of uh, 2020. Uh, that was a 
one, extremely well done. Secondly, it was a very personal, philosophical video, I thought. How'd you feel about making that film? Uh, man, I tell you what, I had this idea, and I'd met Ellen, and I'd seen her work, and I I really want to give, like, almost all the credit to Ellen on this. Like, she edited it, she filmed it, and she she got me to kind of open up a little bit and say the things that I said throughout that video. So she, she definitely needs to receive like pretty much all the credit for that video. Um, and we, we hit a few different areas around Oregon and we, we filmed it in three days and then we sat down and she interviewed me and she did an amazing job at just trying to pull out the bits and pieces and the parts of what I really want to say, you know, to the mm-hmm. community of people that are outdoors and, maybe interested in overlanding or just living an outdoor lifestyle. It was, I, I couldn't have made it without her on that deal. Uh, you probably don't remember it, but we actually uh, exchanged some notes back and forth on that video uh, in the comments section. And with your indulgence, uh, I'll read to you what I wrote and get your reaction to it. This is a very profound video. While I do trips with others, the most moving ones I are when I'm alone for extended periods of time. As you said, out there, nothing cares about you, neither wishes you well nor evil. The solo experience is simply you in an unvarnished reality. Eventually, in the silence, you have those conversations with yourself that are impossible in the presence of others. A single thread of thought might last for hours or days, spiral or soar, and descend to places previously unreachable. And with that, you learn, you understand how much you don't yet know. I do remember that very well because I remember thinking to myself, like that was very eloquently put. <laughs> and I wish I, I wish I could put together two thoughts as eloquently <laughs> as that. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you hit it on the nail. Is like when you're when you're out there on your own, you just have your own thoughts to keep yourself entertained, and you're willing to kind of put down the distractions, the phone, the you know all the different things that might keep you distracted. When you're just sitting there at a fire. And the only thing you might be hearing is the the rustle of the wind, howl of a coyote, just being able to shut down for a minute and be able to think about what's going on. It brings moments of clarity into my life that I don't normally get in other areas because you're just constantly being battered with so many, so many different stimulations. I, I feel like it's the times that I can truly clearly think and, you know, those are the times also I feel like I'm also the most creative in my thinking of like coming up with ideas for the channel or ideas. I, sometimes I can easily get into those writer's blocks when I'm when when there's just so much being uh, thrown at you all the time. But, you know, you're you're constantly you're, you're constantly realizing the things that maybe you need to get better about. And I, I really think those moments of of being out there on your own when you can really kind of just sit and think about whatever, it, it could be life, it could be about, you know, what could be a little bit better about my Overland setup, what skill set could be, could I, uh, you know, be a little bit better at, but yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoy those moments because like I said, when I, those are the moments that like, I can just shut out the world and boy, I tell you what, it's it's really great to be able to shut out the world these days. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I thought we might wind down this podcast the way you wind down uh, at the end of uh, some of your good days, but we're going to have to do it virtually since recording we're recording this a bit too early in the day. So we'll just discuss it. Why Pendleton? Why Pendleton? My neighbor at one time, he introduced me to Pendleton. And I never was much of a whiskey drinker. But he would have Pendleton and I'd drink it a little bit. But what had happened was, is in that same time period where I was got very interested in my my diet and, and, li- and living a little bit healthier, hmm. I, I actually quit drinking altogether because I mainly like to drink beer, but I was trying to cut those carbs. I was like, I I can't drink beer or sodas because it's too many carbs. 
So I just cut drinking altogether. And, the, you know, I had tried Pendleton, like I said, previously through my neighbor. He had introduced it to me and I liked the taste. And at some point I thought it would be nice to have something that I could sip on that I wouldn't be ingesting a bunch of carbs, but I could still kind of hang out with friends and have, you know, something to enjoy and sip on. So I, I, I started, so I already liked Pendleton. And so I started drinking the Pendleton because it just, I could sip on it. I could have a shot's worth versus a couple beers yeah. and, you know, cut the carbs. So I just, it, it just became this thing and I started doing it. And then pretty soon I found that as from a photography standpoint, I really enjoyed, I really enjoy good lighting. And mm-hmm. there's just something about firelight through a whiskey bottle. And so I started taking all these pictures of the bottle and stuff like that. And it just became a thing on the channel uh, that uh, mm-hmm. people expected it. Uh, and they now they expected it. They, they don't feel like it's a primal outdoors video unless somewhere in that video that, you know, that I have Pendleton to the point where I, I get comments every once in a while, but I only drink here and there, you know, and usually right. when it, when I'm in the, the videos and it's usually only like one glass. So it's not, uh, it's not excessive by any means. <laughs> tell, uh, for those that don't know, tell, tell us what Pendleton is. It's a Canadian whiskey and it ran, originally <clears throat> it was brought about, there's a big rodeo that they do in Pendleton, Oregon every year. And they, they, I don't know the story like super well, but it, it basically got started around that Pendleton rodeo. It, it was kind of like this cowboy whiskey. And then it just kind of grew beyond that. Yeah. Some people, you know, think that I'm a very big whiskey drinker connoisseur, but I'm not. Um, I actually find that most whiskeys I don't really like. Hey, Jason, this has been uh, just a total pleasure for me. I want to thank you for coming on and uh, giving us a great episode. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I can talk over landing and rigs all day long. Yeah, it's a good time. And we'll see you again outside. If you want to know more about Jason, be sure to check out his website, primal-outdoors.com, which has links to his always interesting YouTube channel and his other social media accounts as well. While you're at it, subscribe to our Instagram channel, Guy GPS Off-Road. The Guy GPS staff is always posting fun and interesting things we run across. And don't forget to visit our show notes on the Guy GPS blog for links to that sweet premium membership discount. And if you liked our show, stop by Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review. It really keeps us going. We take your comments to heart, so let us know what you think. Thanks for listening in. This is Wade. See you next time.